The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Girl in the Picture, Episode 6. Elizabeth breathed hard. Sweat bubbled on her brow. The satchel felt heavy now, and the strap dug into her shoulder. This wasn't the escape she had expected. The reels were bulky. For every few feet she advanced, another horse rocketed around the corner, driving its horn like a lance. She had watched, helpless, as another crewman was flattened by monstrous hooves. And she hadn't made much progress. The front gate stood empty, but it looked no closer than it had five minutes ago. She huddled against the wall, reluctant to leave this place of safety. Out in the open, anyone or anything might spot her. Damn it, Takata, she swore. She couldn't tell what she hated more, his abandonment or her lack of foresight. Charlie had been right. She didn't know him, nor had she ever met Rose. Takata and Elizabeth may have devised a heist together, but for her, it was an exercise. For him, it was justice, or just plain revenge. Could she really blame him? But now, she was alone. There was no one to look the other way, to cover her, to share her burden. And then, she saw it. A figure in the distance, just beyond the security booth, coming fast. Elizabeth squinted at the apparent mirage, but the more she watched, the more she was certain. The figure was a man on a motorcycle. The rider smashed through the traffic arm. Striped chunks of wood flew everywhere. Now Elizabeth saw details. A leather jacket, a steel helmet, a pair of goggles pulled over the eyes. Now there was no question. The rider was Charlie, accelerating in her direction. Elizabeth bustled into the road, waving her arms hysterically. The motorcycle shifted course, aiming directly for her. The wheels skidded sideways, halting a few paces from herself. Elizabeth leapt aboard, thrusting her hands through Charlie's armpits and clenching him close. Howdy, Charlie said coolly. With that, the engines roared, the wheels whirred, and the motorcycle sped away. The lot disappeared behind them until all they could see was a column of faded smoke. A newspaper lay on the table, folded in half. The headline read, Cops Still Stumped by Co. Elizabeth didn't have to open the full front page. She knew the end of that sentence, Copeland Massacre. This was a fitting description, of course. Two crewmen and one actor killed, and nine more injured. Roy Copeland himself found in a stairwell, 
apparently dead from suicide. And even now, the police couldn't explain what they had seen. The papers described anything from a herd of pygmy rhinos to surgically mutilated steeds. Elizabeth took a sip of her coffee and gestured to the paper. Want to read all about it? Charlie frowned. I don't read reviews. Elizabeth smiled. Touché. They sat in the lobby of the Biltmore Hotel, having just polished off a light breakfast. Their table was surrounded by suitcases. Thanks to Maud's extensive new wardrobe and collection of souvenirs, their luggage had doubled in volume. Maud herself was at the concierge's desk, sending a final postcard to her mother. Three days had passed since their assault on the Copeland lot. Three days to debrief, to explain, to match stories and facts. Elizabeth had divulged her plan to Charlie in every last detail. In turn, Charlie explained his timely return. He'd left his motorcycle at the Biltmore, of course. Once he'd safely driven Maud to the hotel, he'd parked the roadster, jumped on his own bike, and ridden 15 breakneck miles back to Studio City. Elizabeth would never have approved of such a harebrained decision, but she couldn't complain. Her brother had effectively saved her life. And now they were here, and the world was strangely tranquil. None of them had suffered so much as a bruise or a scrape. Their hotel room was still comfortable. The weather was still perfect. Aside from the daily news reports, their vacation would seem as sublime as ever. Any word from Takata? Charlie asked. Not yet, Elizabeth conceded. I don't even know if he made it out of there, but I didn't see a description of him in the press, so hard to say. Hmm. A harumph was all Elizabeth could expect from Charlie, and it was just as well. Her brother was livid that Takata had left her, and at such a frangible moment. He'd threatened to stake out Takata's office and wait for the detective to show up. But Elizabeth talked him out of it. She just couldn't muster such a grudge. She'd made her own share of selfish choices. Hadn't Copeland helped cover up the death of Takata's cousin? Wasn't he now dead? And hadn't Beaumont disappeared as well? No trace of him at his Hollywood home or French chateau? Did these events, a supposed suicide and a missing person, seem like a coincidence? And wasn't that Takata's business now, to push his own idea of justice? I'm glad you stopped in, said Charlie. Elizabeth flushed. Well now, even though I didn't call ahead? Charlie rubbed his forehead. You know I've never been the social type. Of course, said Elizabeth. Calling you understated would be, well, an understatement. Charlie hugged himself. I fibbed to you, before, when you asked, did I love Rose? How so? I did. I loved her so much, Liz. I would have married that girl if there was a way. 
I would have left all this behind if it meant I could be with her, get a regular job, settle into a regular house, have a bunch of kids, the whole bit. Elizabeth took a long breath. I wish I could have met her. What I mean is, said Charlie, if she's up there, somewhere, a spirit or a ghost or something like that, I think she's at peace now, just knowing that people cared. And I reckon you're the reason for that. Elizabeth stood. She reached out a hand and aggressively mussed his hair. Charlie didn't stop her. He allowed the fingers to ruin his perfect dew. Come visit us in Pittsburgh sometime, said Elizabeth. Is Uncle Joe's diner still there? You bet it is. I practically live there. This was as good a parting as any. Maud reappeared, giddy with joy. Her sunburn had faded into a healthy-looking tan. To Charlie's surprise, she threw her arms around his shoulders. Thank you, she cried. I'm just so happy I finally got to meet you. Charlie awkwardly pried her away, nodding as agreeably as he could. He helped them move their luggage outside, saluted with a pair of fingers, and walked away. In an hour or two, he would be Michael Bravo again, the cycle beginning anew. That might have been all. The concierge had called a cab, and soon they would be carried away to the train station. Travelers passed them on the sidewalk. The shade was ample, and they felt a merciful breeze. Maud took out her compact and brushed on some extra rouge. But then she looked past her tiny mirror, and she gawked. Oh, my! she exclaimed, clicking the compact shut. What is it? But Maud didn't need to answer. Elizabeth saw it right away. Takata, standing on the opposite side of the street. He tossed a cigarette into the sewer grate. He ambled across the asphalt, careless to the cars that coasted all around him. He hopped onto the curb and removed his hat. His black hair shimmered. Crown, he said. Takata, Elizabeth replied, so startled that she could barely pronounce his name. What a surprise. I'm sure it is, he said. Hello there, Maud. Maud stammered, Hello, Mr. Uh, um, that is, Takata. To what do I owe the pleasure? said Elizabeth. I figured apologies were in order. I'm sure you had your reasons. I did. Everything has been handled. To my satisfaction, anyway. Well, good then. So, we're square? I don't see why not. I'm glad. So am I. There was a long pause. Elizabeth realized, all at once, how close Takata was standing to her. She was looking up, directly into his eyes. He was looking down, directly into hers. Anything else? She said. Just this. He kissed her. The most fluent, confident, effortless kiss 
she had ever received. A movie star kiss, if there ever was one. Here, on Broadway, in the middle of downtown Los Angeles, in the golden morning haze, as pedestrians eased around them. The kiss lingered, a timeless blend of lips. And when they parted, it was like the parting of continents. Takata stepped back, he replaced his hat, he tipped its brim. We'll always have little Tokyo, he said, turning away. Elizabeth watched him, heart pounding. He walked and walked until he'd vanished into a distant crowd. This concludes The Girl in the Picture, written and performed by Robert Eisenberg. Music provided and licensed by Audioblocks.com. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Airmail Media, based in beautiful Providence, Rhode Island. For more information about the exciting world of uncanology, visit elizabethcrown.net.